Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the You Can Do It Too podcast. My name is Mamadou Balde, and I'm your host. This podcast has two objectives. To provide a platform for minority professionals to share their inspiring stories and to inspire minority students to believe that their options are unlimited and that they can be whoever they desire to be. I hope this podcast ignites that fire inside of you and pushes you to strive to be the best you. On this podcast, I will be bringing minority guests from a variety of professions, engineering, medicine, entrepreneurship, law, business, etc., who will be sharing their journey to where they are today with you. I hope that these stories will inspire you to believe that whatever your goal or your dream is, you can do it too. Thank you so much, Adam, for giving me your time. I'm really excited for this podcast. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Well, how, how's, your, how's your day? You just left Virginia and came to New York, and I know that flight was very early. How, how are you feeling? I'm feeling a bit jet lagged. Um, I'm feeling it. I when I first came, you know, whenever you get ready to go to the airport, you're excited, mm-hmm. and then when you get on the plane, all that adrenaline goes down, and so now you're just like, whatever. Now I'm just tired. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And in terms of 2021, I know 2020 was a crazy year, and we are hoping that a lot of things has been changing. The the vaccines coming out and people are a little bit more hopeful. How how is it going with your family and everybody around you? Everything with my family. Thank God, everything is okay. Um, it's with the community that I'm concerned about. Mm. Um, I. I I include the community as my family too, because it's somebody, you know, we got to look out for each other. We have to help each other. So yeah. um, although things are kind of looking, they're not okay because I think COVID exposed a lot of um, in disparities in the communities from healthcare, education, housing. And I don't think it's getting better. I think it's getting worse. Yeah. Talking about community, I, I know that's definitely something we're going to dig into a little bit, but just thinking about your story, uh, for you, community is very important. It really helped you grow, right? The community that you grew up in was very uh, good for you. So I definitely understand what you're talking about in terms of the community being the family. Mm-hmm. So just jumping in, what do you do? What does your What does your job consist of right now? So I do have a regular job, which I don't talk about because <laughs> I don't know why anybody contacted my job. <laughs> yeah. But outside of my work, I am a community advocate. Um, I advocate for immigration reform. I am formally undocumented. So sometimes the people who have these experiences are the best advocates. Um, so advocating for, you know, I wanted to advocate for immigration on a political level, mm-hmm. but I was never welcome on the political platform. So I've wow. learned that you have to advocate individually. So helping individually people, it's, it starts a wave and a movement. So um, individually, I help families who are undocumented get resources um, for them and their children, or sometimes just only them. Wow, that is amazing. And when you say that you, uh, you try to advocate on the political level, why, why what stopped you? Why, what, what, who tell you that you cannot do that? 
It's not that necessary they tell you you can't do it. It's just that mm. it's all when politics is it's such a tricky thing. You have to know somebody. You can't just walk into a local official's office and say, hey, I want you to change the law today. I want you to do this, this, and this. And the first thing that they're going to say is, who are you? <laughs> what do you do? Where's your credentials? What's this? For the, your experience to them is not credentials enough. Exactly. Um, they want to see how many years have you been doing this stuff? How many years you've been doing, you know, you've been part of this community? What area? Um, I know I know you're in a different state, but in New York City, what's your zip code? What area? Who? Which representative represents you? So it's it's really tricky to get into it. And it's if I spent more time trying to get into politics, I think I wouldn't help the community as much as I'm doing right now. Yeah, because of all the bureaucracy and systematic things that you have to go through. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Where were you born, by the way? So I was born in Guinea-Conakry, but raised in New York City. <laughs> How, when did you come to, the, to New York? I was two years old. Two, wow. Yes, I was two years old. Did you come with your whole family? Uh, so my father already had been in the United States, and later on he sent for my mother and I. Um, so my mother and I arrived in New York in May of 1990, and I was two mm-hmm. years old. And I'm now 32. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. Were you ever told about the story? Like, did your father tell you about his stories, about uh, how he got to the U.S. and how hard it was for him to adapt? Because I know uh, coming from Guinea, I've heard about a lot of stories, people who it's very normal for people to leave Guinea to come in search of, of something better, a better life and stuff like that, right? But when they get to the U.S., they also have to adapt because something that is very different from uh, Guinea is that uh, in, in the U.S., everybody's individualistic, right? It's very hard to find somebody who's going to take care of you. I, You know, it's funny, and it's not to put down our Guinean community. It's just that every I realize every immigrant community is different. So with the Guinean community, it's not like, oh, you come, you can stay with me for free. I'll take care of everything and I'll help you. But I find in different um, immigrant groups, like they have a system set up where they're mm-hmm. like, okay, you can stay at so-and-so's house until you are ready. Then you get your own place. There's like a system. And maybe that's something that we all should look into is some kind of system for a Guinean immigrants or just African immigrants in general. I just heard recently about... Um, an African man who started an LGBTQ plus um, housing for um, undocumented immigrants that were coming from Africa. Um, and he would shelter them. They would stay at the shelter. And then when they got on their feet, they would leave. And I thought that was amazing. And I wish we could do something like that. Wow. That is amazing. Wow. I really agree. I really agree. Uh, I've definitely heard about uh, m- many countries many cultures would have that support system right when when people come in from their countries like okay we'll we'll take care of you until you adapt and get on your own feet mm-hmm. one thing that i wanted to ask you is what is your favorite childhood memory that you remember Ooh, that's hard because i have a lot i most of my childhood memories are with my dad because i'm a daddy's girl so yeah. um I, at the time that he picked me up from school and, you know, he took me for ice cream. So all of them are with my dad. So I guess my childhood memories are with my dad, <laughs> my favorite childhood memory. But because there's a lot of them, I don't have the specific favorite one. Wow. 
Talking about your dad. So there were a day that the FBI came to your house and took your father away. Right. Talk about that moment. How scary were you? Wow. So when the FBI, um, it was FBI, NYPD, and ICE when they raided our apartment. Um, my father had walked in with handcuffs. I think as a 16-year-old, um, now as an adult, I know the emotions and I know the words to those emotions, but as a 16-year-old, I didn't know um, a lot of those. Of course, I knew scared, afraid, um, but later on, you learn words like, I'm traumatized. I, I was scared. I was like, but um, more confused than anything because I didn't know what was going on and I didn't know what was happening. So I think wow. more fear, confusion, and anxiety and that adrenaline of what's going on that I don't know if I should protect myself. I don't know if I should scream, I should, I should cry. I didn't know what emotions to pull out at that moment. Wow. And they, he, he was deported to Guinea, right? Yes, um, my father was unfortunately deported to Guinea-Conakry, um, which he was deported for seven years. Wow, and y- your mother still here? In so, the, in the... so I have uh, four um, American-born siblings. Yeah. So my mother was able to stay behind as my father and I went through the immigration and I went through the criminal justice system. So yeah. um, my mother, later on, they sent a letter saying that they were going to deport her, but they did not. Um, thank God they did not deport her. <laughs> wow, that is crazy. So your father, the provider of the house, left, and then you and your mother had to really take charge of, of your siblings, right? And mm-hmm. you, you, you had to... Man, what kind... What kind of pressure, what kind of challenges did you guys have to face right after in terms of adapting and just knowing that even though it's not fair, there's nothing that you can do to bring uh, your father back? I think you and I just spoke about that that system, that support system wasn't there from the community. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, learning about new laws and understanding, I, as a minor, you can't work in the United States. There's, there's labor laws for children. Um, so navigating a system when you're undocumented is really hard. So I think providing for a family and learning, because I was only 16 and I thought the world was just this little bubble. And then finding out there's a whole entire world outside of this, outside of the sixth train, outside of the yeah. porch. So it's like, there's different attitudes, there's different personalities out there. It, that was a whole new experience for me. Wow. How angry were you? Oh, very angry. Um, very, very angry. But I knew if I showed my anger, I would be giving them what exactly that they wanted. Um, mm. yeah. So I was arrested. Uh, I was undocumented. I didn't know. Um, and, you know, they also accused me of being a t- potential suicide bomber. So if I showed that anger and all those emotions that I guess you can put together as identify as a suicide bomber, I didn't want to be identified as, I didn't want to show those emotions. If that wow. Made <laughs> what, what even made them think that, that you, you were one? Like, what even made them think? What kind of connection did they? You know, it's funny. Um, we don't know. 
to this day, the FBI have never said, hey, Ms. Ba, the reason why we said this because you said this and this, or you did this and this. They never gave us a reason. Um, but my friends and I, we sat down and speculated reasons as to why. Um, so after 9-11, a lot of Muslims, were un mostly undocumented Muslims, were being rounded up. Many of them were accused of terrorism. They would plaster them all over the news. And then you would never hear about them again, or you would never hear about their case again. Um, in my situation, it's different. You, you plastered me all over the news, told my story, but I, in my case, I was given status to stay in the United States. So I was able to tell the story and say, this is what's going on and expose the injustice that a lot of Muslims were going through after 9-11. Wow. So you were a teenager, 16-year-old teenager who were accused of being a criminal and you never did anything wrong in your life, basically. Never. And you still had to go out there in the community wear an ankle bracelet for no reason. Man, what was that like? How did the community accept you? So um, I was in juvenile detention center for six and a half weeks. And the agreement on my release was I would wear an ankle bracelet, a curfew, and abide to this gag order. Um, so the ankle bracelet, you know, when you, whenever you go through something, you go through the people that you know. So I went to my Fulani community. I went to my Muslim community. But honestly, all of them were afraid to be around me. They did not want to be associated with me. So wow. I felt neglected by the people or the things that I identify as. So I had to figure this out on my own. But I did get a help from a lot of Black American Muslims because you have to understand Black American Muslims know what I'm going through. They've experienced this for more than 400 years. Um, the systematic wow. racism, the systematic uh, trauma that they are constantly going through. So they understood what I was going through. And they knew when I told them I was innocent, they believed me. But when it came to the other Muslims or even our Fulani community, they didn't want to be around me. And I think it's, um, they don't want to be seen as guilty by association. They don't want to say, oh, Adam is hanging out with us. So let's question them too. So, you know, we figured it out though. <laughs> I figured it out. That is crazy though in New York. And, and I'm sure as a 16 year old, you cannot work, right? And did your mom did your mom had any had a job before your dad left? Uh, no, my mom worked with my dad at a store that we had, and she barely spoke any English, so wow. she stayed home with the kids, and she was also undocumented, so she couldn't work. But I spoke the language, which is English, and I can you know navigate the system. So I started to work at cleaning homes. Uh, date childcare, um, being a nanny, uh, working in restaurants, whatever jobs that I could find that were for undocumented people, it's what I did. That is crazy. Man, how... The, the, those challenges were definitely hard, right? And I don't want to say how hard, but I don't want to pose the question as how hard was those challenges because definitely hard, but how did you go through it? Like, what, when what? How was it like on days when you feel like you don't want to go anymore, but you just keep pushing? Oh, those days were hard. I think my siblings are the main reason why I kept pushing. Um, I didn't want us to be separated, one, two, and I didn't want them to go through what I was going through. I wanted to make sure that they were okay and they were set. Um, so my motivation mostly came from my siblings. 
I questioned Islam a lot at that time. And I didn't understand Islam as I understand it today. So it was a chance for me to say, look back and kind of say, what is this religion that I believe in? Why? Because I think growing up, we are just Muslim because we're told to be Muslims, but we're not taught the fundamentals of Islam. Of why are we truly Muslims? How did Islam come about? So mm. mostly my family. And later on, my faith. <laughs> wow. That is a good point. You're definitely right. There are a lot of people who grew up in families where Islam was part of the family, so they just grew into it, but they didn't really go and do the research to know why they are in it, right? So that's definitely, that's definitely amazing. But talking about, your, uh, talking about you realizing that you want to do everything you can to make sure that your siblings are set, that's powerful. And that as a as a 16 year old right somebody that young it's very hard to come up with that mentality right that it takes a lot what taught you that was the right mentality to have like what were the motivation that say okay adama this is this is you need to do this it's not about you it's something bigger than you just having that kind of goal i think it goes back to family upbringing so it's the upbringing that my parents have and you know that, like in the Fulani culture, family is such a big thing. So having that family time, making sure that we're together. And I always would remember my father saying, take care of your siblings. Even when he was um, being deported, he kept saying, take care of your siblings. And I'm very close with my father. So him saying, take care of your siblings, I took it literal. Like, okay, I got to really take care of them. I got to make sure nothing happens to them. So I, I think that's a combination of so many different things, but mostly my father, who I look up to and admire, saying, take care of yourself. Why? Wow. Talking about, talking about being a daddy girl, <laughs> as you said earlier, right? when you guys were separated, I'm sure it was very hard for you to, to adapt to that. But how did you, how did you kind of utilize your memories that you had with him uh, to, to just keep you pushing on those hard times? knowing that he's so far away from you? Um, it was definitely hard. I think one of the things that I just have to keep reminding myself is I knew who my father was and I knew everything about him. But my, unfortunately, my siblings were young. Um, mm. They didn't get that opportunity, that chance for me. And I always had this hope that maybe one day we would be reunited. Maybe one day something will happen. I know in Islam we say after every hardship comes ease. So I, I started to believe this more. After every hardship comes ease. And it's true because it went from really hard life to now I can say, wow, I'm in a, I'm in a better place now. And yeah. I can look back and say, whoa, I can't believe I went through that. <laughs> yeah. Is your father back now? He is back. My father's back. Um, I am a mother too. So um, my father is back. I am a mother too. So he is my child care provider. <laughs> he takes care of my wow. kids when I have to work and do things. That is so amazing. We're definitely going to talk about that. That is so amazing. So one thing I wanted to ask you, when did you realize that your story is not a disability? It's not a disability, but it is like empowering. It is because I know when you had this story, right? When this happened, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want people to get in your business. 
But there, there was a point that you realize people need to hear about this story. People need to, people need this story to feel empowered, right, and do things. When did you realize that point? So it's funny. I didn't realize it until later on, until I was hearing other people tell me their story. Um, so David, who was my former teacher, um, kept telling me, "You have to tell your story. You have to tell your story." Um, I used my story as a selfish way of healing because I realized the more I told my story, the more I started to feel better. The more I got something off my chest because I wasn't able to tell the story. And then you, you know, David and I would travel around the states, and they would screen our documentary, and I would share my story. And each time I told the story, the sense of relief would come out because memories that I wanted to suppress were coming out of them. Things that I remember that happened to me, like okay, this is how I felt at this moment. Like just how like you were asking me, I'm able to tell you now without being sad, that I was very sad. I was very angry before I was afraid to admit that, before I was afraid to tell. But the minute we tell our stories, we empower ourselves. It's, mm -hmm. And then we empower others, first yourself, then others. And you have to realize when we tell our story, it's not, I used to worry about what others would think, but now I realize I'm telling you the story, you decide what you want to do with it. You can either be with me in this movement of asking for a peaceful change, or you can be just a supporter, an ally, just watch from a distance, support the work that I do, or just say, I simply don't want to be part of it. So it's whatever you decide to do with the story that I tell. But at some point, we have to change a system that is not working correct for people of color. Wow, that is well said. And so there were a point after your dad left where as you say, that your siblings did not know anything about about him, right? So there was a point that they grew up and they started asking you questions about it because you're the one who knew about him. What was that, uh, how to call it, Did you? what was that pressure like, the fact that you needed to show them the right image of your father? And knowing that no matter what you say about your father, it's just they, they were not gonna see the full picture of him until he came back years later? Um, that's a very good question. I mean, I think the, like sharing stories, like, so the three older ones who are right after me, they kind of know my father, but they don't know him. Like uh, his exactly. funny side, his silly side. Um, so we would share stories about him, things that he would do, or we'll imitate him. Um, and we would laugh at mm. his jokes. And we found laughter as a way of um, healing. But the more you share the stories about the person who used to be there that is no longer there, the more you keep their memory alive, the more you keep that, okay, that's the type of person he was. So my youngest brother, who is now 16, I think he was like six, I think he was 16 months old when my father was deported. He knew my father based on the stories that we told. So he kind of like went off the jokes that he knows. So it was a transition for him. Wow. Wow. So you, 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 you eventually now you have built a platform. I saw, I saw a platform about sharing stories about undocumented people, right? And you are one of the people who built that platform, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I think other people like, like yourself, you gave us the platform. You mm -hmm. said, here, come up here and I will give you my stage. I will give you my audience so they can hear your story. So 
people like yourself built that platform for me and I'm just there to talk. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Def- so the, the work that you have been doing uh, in terms of helping people, being a community, uh, a community activist and, and helping people, what does that work mean to you? How fulfilling has it been for you? It is a really good feeling to be able to make sure that, because what I went through, I don't want anybody else to go through. Mm-hmm. So it's a good feeling to say, no, 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 that's not how you do it. Do it like this, because I know. And a lot of times you have people in these spaces that want to help that don't know what it's like to be. Um, and you have people advocating for immigration who's never been locked up in an immigration cell, who've never had to win immigration. So I'm coming from a different advantage point. And mm-hmm. when I share my story, is it builds that trust that, oh, so you really do know what I'm going through. Wow. So it's for me, it's just, it feels great. It feels, it's, it's a way of me giving back and saying, now that things are great in my life, it's a way of saying, you know what? Here, let me give back to the universe. Let me give back to the world. Definitely. I think I noticed that you wrote a book, right? Yes. <laughs> Talk about that. What is it about? So my book is, so I've been telling my story for the last, what, 15 years? Um, but the book goes into details about what happened to me in from the juvenile detention center to, I, I forgot where I stopped. <laughs> I think it stopped that to my release or wow. to my no fly list. I forgot where, um, but it just goes into details about what I went through. Wow. What's the name again? It's my name, my story of injustice. Adam Ad- okay. Definitely gonna put it out there, Adamaba. That's amazing. And when when can people find it if they if they wanna read it? You can find it at any bookstore, Barnes and Nobles. Uh, it should be available in libraries, public libraries, and schools around the country. But right now the book is not available. You can pre-order it, and then it shall be available. I think August. Um, I went to a publishing company, so and they have been amazing. So hopefully around August, everyone can have an actual copy. Wow, that is amazing. And this goes to what you talked about earlier, the idea of no matter what happened, no matter how hard life is, it's going to be easier, right? It's going to get easier. Things going to get better. If you keep believing, you keep pushing, things going to get better, right? And sometimes you don't realize it when it's happening but later when you when things start falling in place you say wow this is this is exactly what was going on why why it was happening like you you tell yourself if this had not happened i wasn't gonna get this right and just thinking through your story yes that was a crazy night that was something that you don't want to experience you will never pray that on anyone right but the things that you learned the lessons that you have come is something that has made you grow. It's something that you are, you 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 accept, and 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 you 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 are proud you are proud of, right? So your father is back now in New York, and uh, he sees he he's part of the family, his family, and he also uh, is able to witness the growth of your family, seeing his grandchildren, which is the treasure of every African parent. <laughs> oh, yeah. How, how does he feel? Does he ever tell you about how he feels? Does he ever talk to you about his journey going back home and how coming back making him feel? 
he, you know, we come from a culture where we don't really talk about our feelings and express it. But I think this experience has changed my parents a lot. So my father has shared with me. Um, he shares a lot with me. And I know even with him, like um, people in the community will ask him for things and he'll be like, hold on, let me call my daughter. And he'll just randomly give people my number. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, dad, I'm like, hello. Ben Miley Kuminade, your dad said to call you. I, I'm going through this and this. So like my dad gives away my number to everyone who tells them their problems. Wow. Um, and my dad is respected in the community where they're like, okay, go to him. His daughter knows what to do. His daughter can help us. His daughter can do this. So it, it is amazing. I, and I, like you said, it's amazing the fact that now he can, he didn't get to really enjoy be in our adult life, but he's in my children's life. He gets to see my growth and me being a mother. So it's, it's, it's amazing feeling. That is amazing. That is so powerful, right? And, and one thing that I am beginning to realize, so I had an interview with one of my mentors earlier. Uh, had, I had her on my podcast and she asked me, Mama, do, do you know what uh, Jesus Christ, what was his, his, his job, right? He said what he did for a living. I thought about it, I didn't know, right? And I talked to so many people who are Christian and asked them if they know what Jesus Christ, uh, and, and many people did not know exactly what he did for a living but everybody know the kind of impact that he did right and i'm beginning to realize that people are not known for the job that they do that they are getting paid for people are usually known for the work that they do right the the, your, the impact that you make in life right mm. and, and i feel like society pressures to really do everything we can to, to go and find a good job or, or go and, and make so much money. And it doesn't tell us that the things that we're going to be remember, how we're going to make our life eternal is through the impact that we make and the impact that we leave in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's so fascinating. And I wanted to ask you, how do you, what's your thought on that? What, what's, what's your why? What motivates you to wake up every day and go chase your dream? That's a very beautiful thing that you just said. I never thought about it like that. I just think that no matter what career you choose in life, you have to give back to your community. I mean, even if you don't, if you're not a people's person, there's a way that you can give back without being involved in, you know, with the world. But um, I know for me, it's I was I went through something very traumatic, and I know especially now with the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. A lot of them are going through the things that are similar to what I went through. So it's my chance to say, let me help you. Um, at some point in my life, when I was going through all this ordeal, it was my chance to receive help. Now it's my wow. chance to give help. Um, so that's actually a really good saying. What you said is powerful. Everybody knows who Jesus is. Even as Muslims, we know who he is and the impact that he has done in a Muslim community. And but unless you really study this land, you won't know what his job was, but he did leave an impact on all of us. Exactly. Um, and I feel like it's the same thing for Prophet Muhammad, it's the same for MLK, right? Yeah. You, you, you don't know the jobs that they did uh, growing up, but you know, that the, you know the work that they did. You know, you know the work that they did, right? Mm-hmm. That, is, that is amazing. And my last question was going to be, 
what makes you happy nowadays? What's your favorite memory? Just going back full circle, what's your favorite memory now? So I, like I told you earlier, I'm a mother of two. And right now it's just, they're very young. They're only, they're babies. And right now at this moment in their life, they're not going to remember what we did, but they're going to remember how they felt. So mm. building memories of love with them is my goal right now. Bring, um, giving them memories of traveling the world and seeing things. Um, so my biggest memory is building memories with them, if that makes any sense. So it can be a specific one. It's just the fact that I'm able to do this because a lot of people who are deported, incarcerated, they're unable to do this. I am, so I'm trying to take advantage of it and hopefully my children will share that with others. Definitely. Wow. Man, thank you so much, uh, Adama, for this. this you, have, you have a very powerful story and the things that you go through, again, I feel like no one... No one want to go through this. It's, it's just crazy just waking up in the night and finding people in your house, right? Wanting, wanting bad for you, right? Or, or, or I, know, I cannot imagine how bad it feels to be blamed for something that you have worked all your life to make sure that you are not in that position, right? Being a criminal is not something that, it's not something that we take lightly. We, we, we don't want to do anything that put us in that position and just to be blamed. Uh, like that it, it, it's crazy and it's life-changing it is um, definitely is but one thing I always tell myself although I did not want to go through it if I didn't go through it someone else will go through it mm. and I wouldn't want that on anybody so I'm okay with if I had to go with it go through it I'm okay I'd rather not someone else go through that wow that's amazing again thank you so much for the time thank you Thank you so much for taking your time and listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you feel like this episode has helped you in any way, share it with a friend, family, or loved one. Before you leave, make sure to subscribe for more.